I feel like y'all are like people that showed up at a concert to hear George Strait, and instead it was Elton John. Yeah. Not that it's bad, it just wasn't what you'd expected. And, uh, I know you came... I know you came expecting to hear Brother Rob today. You didn't know he was going to be gone. I didn't, up until about a couple of days ago, I didn't know he was going to be gone. So it's, it, you're not too far ahead of, uh, behind me, brother. And uh, Brother Rob called me Thursday, I guess it was, Thursday and asked. He said, well, I said what, would you, what would you say if me and my wife take off Saturday and, and come back the next Saturday? Do you think you can handle everything? And I said, I'll try not getting any bigger mess in one week than you can't fix it in two weeks. <laughs> so... Uh, Good, good to be here today, and uh, I told them down at Tahlequah, I, I'm not used to preaching this many times in one day, so I said, I tried to save my voice. I tried not to sing real hard and tried not to holler too much when I was preaching, but I said, I'll, by the time I get to prior, I've, I've already had done it twice, and it'll be, that'll be the last time for the morning, so I can just let them have it, and uh, no, I will, I'll, try not let y'all, I'll try not let y'all have it any worse than... Than I did them folks down there at, at Tahlequah, but uh, I know I can't feel Rob's shoes. But uh, it'll come from the Word of God. Anything comes from the Word of God is going to be good. And uh, I'm thankful the Lord just chooses to use us. And we're going to look at Mark chapter number one. <clears throat> Mark chapter number one. Mark chapter number one, verse number nine. It says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Of course, we're reading here uh, in the book of Mark about the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were to take the book of Mark, and then Matthew, and then the book of Luke, now the book of John, of course, does not mention the temptation of Jesus, and the reason for that is that the book of John emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt men to sin. So John does not even bring up the a temptation like this. Matthew, of course, deals with uh, the king, and Luke will deal with the Son of God. But Mark addresses this situation. He addresses the situation with Jesus from the viewpoint of the servant. <clears throat> so he wants to talk to us about the servant. Now, the book of Mark is designed to appeal to the mindset of Rome. And in Rome, uh, service was very valuable. The, the two words probably that could be used to describe the Roman Empire would be the ad- administration and action. You might say masters and servants. And uh, you might say, and uh, so Mark is going to deal with that, and he's going to talk to us about administration and action. And he's going to talk to us about the servant, and Jesus presented to us as... Uh, the servants, and it's important for you and I to remember as we as we study this this morning about the temptation of Christ that we are dealing here with the temptation of Christ in His humanity. 
Now you and I know that he was God just as much as he was just as much as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He was God. But he also came to this world to be born into human flesh and blood to show the humanity side and to go through everything down here from the human side. So this temptation, uh, we're, you know, he's dealing with this temptation in his humanity. And, uh, you know, if this was about Jesus being tempted as God, this story would not do you and I one bit of good today because we're not God. I mean, if Jesus had, if this story played out where Jesus used his supernatural power to just, I mean, because he could have just, I mean, he's, he's stronger as God. He's stronger than the devil. He could have just pulled rank on the devil and just cast the devil away and said, leave me alone, get away from here, I don't want to mess with you. But he didn't do that. He, he, he dealt with this temptation uh, from Satan, but he dealt with it in his humanity. And because Jesus came out victorious over the tempter in this temptation as a human, in human form, in human ways, then you and I can look at that and say, you know what? He's human just like we were human in that situation. And he dealt with it as a human. And I can do the same thing if I let Jesus Christ work through me. The aspect of temptation we're going to deal with today is the battlefield of temptation. That's the, the title of the sermon today is the battlefield of temptation. There's a battle that goes on here in the temptation of Jesus. And I want to say three things about it. First of all, this temptation came very suddenly. That's the way the devil works. You know, the devil will sneak up on you and I and he'll come suddenly. You notice the scripture says in verse 12, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Many times Mark will use that word immediately or sometimes they use the word straightway. That's because Mark is dealing again, he's dealing with the servant. And that's what a servant is supposed to do. A servant is supposed to obey immediately and without any reluctance, without any hesitation. But you'll notice our story today, this begins immediately after the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's immediately after Jesus is at a high point in his life. When God the Father has looked down and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And John has just finished baptizing him. The Holy Spirit descends from heaven in the form of a dove and rests on his, on his shoulder. And it's, a, it's the point really that, that begins Jesus' earthly ministry here on the earth. I mean, the Bible says here in Mark that immediately... He goes into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. I hear sometimes people will say, Boy, you know, preacher, man, that was such a good service. Man, we're, we are still on a high from that service we had Sunday. Man, Pastor Rob just preached the house down. The music was good. And man, man, we're, we're still celebrating and rejoicing. And what a good time we had in the Lord's Sunday. And I feel like I ought to tell them people, you better look out. Anytime you're on a high like that, anytime the Holy Spirit has blessed you and God's been good to you like that and you've got such a, a charge and a blessing out of the service and you're on that high of a plane spiritually, you better look out because the devil's probably somewhere lurking around in the shadows. He's looking for the right time to attack you because that's what he likes to do. The Lord was no different. Suddenly he went from the water to the wilderness. Suddenly he went from the dove to the wild beast. Suddenly he went from the voice of his father to the voice of the tempter. Suddenly he went from thou art my beloved son to if thou be the son of God. Suddenly he went from heaven to earth because there's a river in heaven but there's no wilderness in heaven. So Jesus is driven out into the wilderness and it was a sudden attack. The devil likes to attack us suddenly. Number two. It came severely. 
It was a severe attack. Now, there's three things that are involved in this attack in our text this morning. Now, I have no doubt this, this, of course, lasted, this temptation, time of temptation in the wilderness lasted for 40 days. I have no doubt that Satan probably tempted him the whole 40 days. I don't think Satan probably just, you know, picked one day out of that 40 and said, you know, this, I think this one day I'm going to go, I'm just going to tempt him a lot today uh, and leave him along the road. I think he probably tempted the Lord probably the whole 40 days. But these three things are mentioned in Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at today. There's three things involved in this attack. Number one, loneliness. It says the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness, and he was alone. The devil likes to get you and I out alone. Sometimes it's hard to bring up things that we're going through, and sometimes people have trouble bringing up and discussing and sharing sometimes the burdens or the trials that or the temptations that they're going through. Sometimes it's hard for you and I to admit or talk about those things we're going through. You know why? Because the devil don't like you to do that. The devil wants you to think you're alone. He wants you to think you're by yourself. The devil loves to come to you and I. The devil loves to come and say, nobody else is facing what you're facing. Nobody else is going through what you're going through. Hey, nobody else ever had to deal with what you're having to deal with. Yet the Bible says there's no temptation that's taken you as such as common to man. I mean, you think about the help sometimes when somebody bears their soul about what they're going through and maybe you're able to pray with those, those people, that person. You're able to pray with them about it and I mean, that person that bared their soul and, and, and shared that burden with you, they get a blessing. They get, a, they get some help from sharing that burden with you. And then you get some help because you're able to pray with them about it. And maybe it might even be something you've gone through and you're able to be a help to them and say, you know, I know what you're going through. I went through that one time myself and God brought me through. But see, the devil don't want you to do that. The devil wants you to feel like nobody understands. Nobody else has been through it. Matter of fact, the devil will try to convince you that there's something wrong with you, and that's why you're going through it, because something's wrong with you. He loves to use loneliness. The devil likes to get you out in the wilderness, make you think you're the only one that's been there. He'll use loneliness. Number two, he'll use weariness. Our text this morning says immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness, and he was there 40 days. Now, he's fasting during those 40 days. I, uh, it doesn't really mention that in our text today, but then the, some of the other recollections of this event that are shared in other places in Scripture, it mentions that he was fasting during that 40 days in the wilderness. Now, 40 days in the wilderness is a long time, and then 40 days fasting in the wilderness is even longer. Now, I've never fasted for 40 days. I'd probably do good to fast for 40 days. It'd probably help me lose some weight. But I've never fasted for 40 days. I fast, there have been some times I've fasted for as much as 21 days, but I've never fasted for 40 days. Some great men in the Bible fasted for 40 days. There's been some great preachers of our times that have fasted for 40 days. Dr. J. Harold Smith, the great evangelist and radio preacher, he fasted on some occasions for 40 days. And I remember Dr. J. Harold Smith said it this way. He said, unless you know absolutely that God has told you to fast for 40 days. You better not do it because you're liable to die. 
He said, now, if God told you to fast for 40 days, then God will take care of you. He'll, he'll make sure that you make it through. He'll provide, he'll just supernaturally take care of you, even though you're not uh, taking in any nourishment. But if God, you don't know that God told you to do it, you better not do it. So the Lord is out there, and that's 40 days is a long time to be alone. <clears throat> long time to be fasting. Satan likes to tell you, that what you're going through, this trial, this temptation, whatever it is you're going through, he likes to tell you that this is never going to end. This is never going to get any better. The best your life is going to be is what it is right now when you're going through this. This is it for you. From now on, it's just going to be this and no better. Most, most of you know a little bit about my, my, uh, my testimony. I met I, about 10, 11 years ago, I, I went through a divorce and, and, uh, it, well, I didn't have it was none, no, not a moral failure or anything. Usually when a preacher says, uh, something about going through divorce. Everybody thinks, well, he had an affair or something like that. It wasn't like that. It's just, it's just the devil. Devil's good at what he's doing. And uh, and I split my home up. And and I'll never forget. There were those were some of the darkest days of my life. And right after that, because uh, my at that point my kids were a long ways off. And and uh, and I, I'm not pastoring anymore. And I mean, the devil would come and tell me, I mean, you're middle you're middle aged. Nobody's ever gonna want you again. You probably will never get married again. I mean, you're never gonna pastor again. Never gonna be used in the ministry again. I mean, I even had some preachers that, pre- preachers that I really thought the world of. Some, I had one particular guy, he was one of my heroes in the faith, and I was talking to him, and he was just like, he just like, he assumed I was done. He said, well, you know, at least you did have some good years in the ministry. <clears throat> well, I mean, just cause you go through something don't mean that God's not ever gonna do anything with you again. But the devil will convince you that. The devil had me convinced that right now, what you're going through, the best part of your life is over with, and you're never going to have any great days again. This is it. The devil wants you to think that it's never going to get any better. I don't have a ministerial degree. My bachelor's degree is in a business degree in marketing, but I have taken some courses in counseling. And one of the things that they taught me in those counseling courses is that when you're dealing with someone in counseling, you need to always leave them with something that they can hope for. See, the devil don't want you to have any hope. He wants you to feel like your trial is never going to end. He wants you to feel like it's never going to get any better. He wants you to think that you'll never, you're never going to be able to take a victory lap from this trial because this is going to do you in. For 40 long days, Jesus went through this time. The devil's going to use loneliness. He'll sometimes use weariness. Number three, the devil will use fearfulness. Our text says he was out in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and he was with the wild beast. Now remember, again, we're dealing, in this event, we're dealing with the humanity of Jesus. <clears throat> the God side of Jesus, the God side was, is, is over those beasts, and the God side of Jesus can tell those beasts, just get out of here, and leave me alone. But the humanity side of Jesus, it looked at those beasts and says, wild beasts. Now, I've never really been out in the wilderness by myself for very long. But I can remember when I was a kid being out somewhere with a <clears throat> campfire going and maybe the only light was that light from the coming from the campfire. And as a boy, man, I'd look out in that darkness that would surround me and every once in a while the, the light from that fire would cause a reflection in a pair of eyes out there somewhere in them bushes. And I began to let my imagination run wild. And next thing you know, man, I was imagining there's boogers and monsters out there in every bush and tree out there. A breeze would come through there and cause the leaves to rustle a little bit. And, man, I just knew I'd heard footsteps of some wild beast that's coming to have me for supper. 
Now, as far as I know, at no place where I was at any of those times was there any real monsters or boogers hiding behind them bushes or trees. You know what? I had manufactured that stuff in my mind. All those monsters and those boogers I was scared of, I had, I had manufactured them and I thought those things up in my mind. You know, the devil will try to get you to do, he'll, he'll try to get you to manufacture stuff. <clears throat> he'll try to get you to start thinking about stuff and worrying about stuff and being afraid of stuff that's never even going to happen. He'll get you to worry about stuff and think about stuff that sometimes it don't even exist and if it does exist, it's probably not going to happen to you. He'll get you to be thinking, well, so and so don't care nothing about me. They don't like me or, or this or that. He got, I mean, if you realize how little they do think about you, you probably wouldn't worry about what they think about you. I remember back when I was a kid, I think I was probably about 10 years old, something like that. Of course, my dad pastored over in Perry, so we lived in the church parsonage right across the street from the church. And at that point, there's five of us kids, but at that point, there was three of us still at home. And my older brother, he was, he was already out of high school, so he was an adult, but he's still living there at home. And my sister would have been probably an older teenager, something like that. And I was about, about 10 years old, and my brother and I, we shared a bedroom, and our bedroom was on the side of the house that was on the, the, toward the street, towards the street, and we were the closest to the front door. And um, my brother, he, he was always hearing stuff. And I, thank God he got over it. Now he's hard of hearing, he can't hear nothing. So, uh, <laughs> but back then, he was, always, he was always hearing stuff. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it wasn't. But uh, I mean, we were laying there one night, and... <clears throat> Well, anyway, he thought he heard somebody beating on the door trying to break in or something. So he wakes me up, and he wakes me up and tells me there's somebody trying to break in. Well, I'm 10 years old. What, what are you waking me up for? I can't do nothing about it. And uh, he told me, he well, go in there and get Mom and Dad. And I don't remember, I mean, I don't remember now exactly how, I mean, knowing as many times as he said he thought there was something and there wasn't something, I probably went in and told Mom and Dad, instead of going in there hollering and excited saying, somebody's trying to break in, I probably went in there and said, Alan thinks he heard something. And uh, so anyway, I go wake up mom and dad, and and uh, they. So my dad gets up and comes in there to see what it is. Why? Well, now I stayed back with more of my mom and sisters that because I uh, I figured that I need to let them let the older ones go first, and hopefully they'll be well, whoever it is trying to get somebody. But by the time he gets to me, he's already wore out, and I can outrun him. And uh, so, uh, but I, after a while, I decided I'm going. I'm going to just sneak in there real quiet, and I'm just going to see what's going on. So man. I come in there and I sneak, I go up the hallway and I start looking into the living room there. <clears throat> Had a couch over there again the wall with the window there. And um, there was a chair sitting there in the middle of the living room that was away from the window. There's a chair over there. And for some reason, somebody had, had draped a coat over that chair. There was a hat on, on top of that coat. And my mama had one of these long sticks that she would, like a broom handle, that she would put at the bottom of the sliding door at night so you couldn't open the sliding door even if the latch was, bo was broke or something. You couldn't uh, open the door. Well, some, one, of the, one of the nieces and nephews, somebody, one of my nieces and nephews, some of them was playing with that, I guess, and they left that thing laying across the, the arms of that chair. Now, we, as far as I know, we only had one gun in the house. I think my brother had a, had a rifle. And so I see that, I see that stick there. And if, and I'm thinking that, well, that's my brother. He's sitting there with the rifle. He's waiting for the person to come in, whatever he waiting to shoot him. When I look over by the couch and it looks like the burglar's coming through the window. Now, I, what I didn't know was my brother was actually in the other bathroom looking out the window there. And on the couch was my dad on his knees looking out the window to see if he could see anything. Well, in my mind, my brother's sitting there 
with the rifle ready to shoot the burglar. The burglar's done through the window, and he's on the couch getting ready to get in the house. So, man, I made a beeline back there where my mom and my sister's at in the back of the house, and I started opening the back door. Mom said, where are you going? I said, he's already coming in the house. And I said, Alan's got the gun in there. I said, I said if he's coming in, I'm getting out. So, man, I'm, I'm getting ready to get out. About that time, my dad comes walking back there, and he said, where are you going? I said, well, I said, if he's coming in the house, I'm going to get out. He said, ain't nobody coming in the house. He said, ain't nobody in there, me and Alan. See, I was worried about something. I was convinced something was in that house that was ready to get me. Come to find out, it wasn't nothing. Now, I ended up that, that particular night, there ended up there really was somebody out there. There's no guy got drunk, and he thought he had his own house, and he was beating on the door trying to get in. It wasn't even his house. But he wasn't, even, he wasn't anywhere close to getting in. See, the devil's going to get you to worry about stuff. Instead of, instead of concentrating on the things of God, you're going to waste some of your time fighting shadows when there ain't even anything there. You know what the devil's doing when he starts sending you those imaginations? When the devil starts trying to get you to think about those things that's not ever going to happen, he's trying to get you to quit. He's trying to get you to just say, okay, well, I'm on this. This trial's too hard. It's never going to get any better. My life's not ever going to be amount to anything anymore. I might as well just quit. The attack came suddenly, it came severely. Number three, it came sovereignly. I noticed some things about what's taking place here, and I began to think about the things that Jesus faced out in that wilderness. I began to think about the hand of God. I want you to notice a few things here, and I want you to notice the wilderness. It says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was tempted in the wilderness. He was alone in the wilderness. Remember, I said the devil likes to get us to think that we're alone. The devil likes you and I to think that we're not going to get any help. He likes us to think that there's nobody that understands. He wants us to think that there's nobody who cares for you and I. You don't have to turn there this morning for the sake of time, but I want to show you a couple of passages of Scripture from back in Genesis. In Genesis 16, there's a young lady there by the name of Hagar. Abraham has taken her and a child's been born, and his name is Ishmael. Because Ishmael is born, Hagar despises Sarah, who's barren. So Sarah gets mad at Abraham and says in Genesis 16, verse 5, says, And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water, guess where? In the wilderness, by the fountain on the wave sure. You hear where that angel found her? He found her in the wilderness. See, the devil's going to tell you that you're in the wilderness. Ain't nobody going to know where you're at. Nobody cares where you're at. Nobody can help you where you're at. I want to remind you that when Hagar was out in the wilderness, God found her there. When you're out in the wilderness, God knows where you are. If we would read it a little bit further in the book of Genesis there, we'd find another time that that boy's about to die, but God saw her in the wilderness. No matter where you're at, no matter how far it might seem that your wilderness journey has taken you, I mean, it might seem that God's a thousand miles away sometimes in the trials and things you're going through. But I'm here to tell you God hadn't forsaken you. God hadn't forgot about you. God knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. Matter of fact, He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And He's right there with you going through that trial. 
you're not alone. Not only is our Father close by in our wilderness, our Father is careful about our weariness. But our text says immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness and he was there 40 days. I wonder why he was there 40 days. Why not 50? Why not 30? Why not 60? If you study your Bible, you'll notice that this number 40 comes up again and again and again. It has to do with testing. It's sometimes called the number of probation. Israel was tempted and tested in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. I look at this thing and I see the devil has come on the scene. And if you just look at this story from the human standpoint, man, it looks like it's got out of control. I mean, the Lord's supposed to be more powerful than the devil, yet the devil is there tempting him. Try and tell Jesus what to do. Makes you think that things are out of hand or out of control. Now, if it had been 30 days or 50 days or 60 days, it might have, it might have been out of control, but no. 40 is God's number, and 40 is God's number of testing and trying. So you know what that tells me? Tells me that no matter what it seems like, things are not out of hand. Things are not out of control. The sovereign hand of God is working on this situation and working things out according to the way His will. That's why there's 40 days. The Holy Ghost wants you and I to see things. They're not out of control. They're not out of hand. But he's working in the midst of what's going on. God can comfort us in our weariness. Mark 13, 20 says, And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved but for the elect's sake. Whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. You say, Preacher, how long can this go on? God knows how long he can handle it. God knows how much pressure you can take. God knows how long it's going to take for you and I to learn what we need to learn from the trial or the temptation that we're going through. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There's no temptation taken you as such as common to man, but God's faithful. He'll not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God knows how much I can stand. God knows how long the trial needs to go. We're just being reminded here that God's in charge. Our Father is close by in our loneliness. He's careful about our weariness. And our Father can comfort us in our fearfulness. Genesis 7-2 says, Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. So God tells Noah in the book of Genesis, I want you to take seven of the clean animals, two of the unclean, Two of every one. Now, here's, how's my, this is my question for you today. How did Noah get all those animals in the ark? Did you have to have a roundup? How do you think Noah got all those animals in the ark? You know how I believe those animals got in that ark? The, the creator is over the creation. I believe God, I believe God just told him animals and he knew which ones. I mean, you don't read in the Bible where, uh, where there's 57 monkeys tried to get in the ark at the same time. They only need two of them. God told the right ones, go get in the ark. I believe they got in the ark. Noah didn't have to get out there and get on a horse and, and try to go round them up. He didn't have to get him a lasso and go try to rope an elephant and a couple of giraffes. No. God just told them to get in there. And they got in there. God knows what's going to happen. He knows about your tomorrow. He knows about your trouble. God knows what you're fearful of. And God's able to calm those fears. Our text says he was in the wilderness 40 days and was surrounded by the wild beasts. But it don't stop there. It says, and the angels ministered unto him. So there's Jesus. He's got those wild beasts surrounding him. And 
I don't know how it happened, but <clears throat> apparently it's like God just told those wild beasts. You can get so close, but you can't come any closer. You can roar if you want to roar. You can howl if you want to howl. You can show your teeth if you want to show your teeth. But you're not coming one step closer to Jesus than I'll, than I'll let you. But I'll tell you who I will let through. I'll let through those ministering angels. Aren't you glad you and I have a heavenly filter in our life? Aren't you glad there's some things that God's not going to let get through to you and I? And we can rest assured that those things that do get through into my life and yours, we can rest assured God's got a purpose, He's got a plan. And eventually those things, while it may not seem so, whenever you're going through them, those things God allows into your life, into my life, He has a purpose and a plan. And He's going to produce something good from it. I want to talk to you about one more thing and I'll be done. We're talking about the temptation of Jesus. We're talking about this sovereign God that's looking over. He's overruling. He's in charge of this temptation. Now, lest you think I've forgotten or lest you think I've become a Calvinist and, not, and maybe I've forgotten that man has a responsibility, I want to show you something that perhaps sometimes we don't consider, but maybe you have considered it. But if we go back and... And we were to read Matthew's writings about the temptation in Matthew 4.1. The Bible says this, says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. If we go back and read what Luke said in chapter 4.1, it'll say this, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But then when we read our text today where Mark says in our text, And immediately the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, driveth him into the wilderness... I want you to think about those three verses. Matthew says he was led, drawn by the Spirit. Luke says he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was dominated by the Holy Spirit of God. But Mark says he was driven. Now that's the strongest of the three words used to describe it. If you look up that word driven, it's sometimes used to mean to cast out or to send forth. So here's what Mark is saying. Remember... Now, what I said at the beginning of the message, Mark's gospel looks at it from the servanthood and master perspective. And I said the Roman culture focused on administration and action. So you see, a servant is driven. That Roman citizen or that Roman soldier, they would act upon something because they've been given an order. So maybe you're saying here this morning, preacher, I know that when I'm in this trial, I know that when I'm going through this temptation, whatever it is I'm going through, I know that God is in control. I know that God's ways are sovereign. But what's my part in it? I think we just need to do what Jesus did in those passages of Scripture. Number one, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. We're to be full of the Holy Ghost. Our job is when we come into temptation, we're to be driven by Him. You ever heard that somebody make a statement about somebody and they'll say, Man, he just won't quit. It's like he's just driven. It's like there's just something in his life that drives him just to go on. Drives him to just finish whatever he starts. Drives him to just stay by the stuff and just keep on going for God. Sometimes they'll make a statement about a businessman. They'll say, man, he's just always working. He's just a driven man. Let me tell you something this morning. That's what, we ought, that ought, what ought to be said about you and I. It ought to be that people look at our lives and say, man... They're just driven by the Holy Spirit of God. That's how our lives ought to be. Driven by the Holy Spirit of God. Not just led, even though we should be led. 
not just dominated, even though we should be dominated by the Holy Ghost, but be driven, like Apostle Paul said when he said it this way, he said, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem. It's like he was saying, man, I just can't do anything else. I mean, the call of God is so strong on my life, and God's been so good to me that I, I can't go anywhere else. I'm bound to go fo- just follow the Holy Spirit, and I'm bound to follow God's plan for my life. I'm driven. You and I need to be driven by the Holy Spirit of God. You rest assured this morning, God's going to do His part. When you're going through the trials, you're going through the temptations, you're going through the things that God allows to come into your life, the storms of life, whatever it might be, you can rest assured God's going to do His part. God will oversee the trial. God's going to be working behind the scenes. But you and I need to do our part. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you driven? And if you are, what is it that drives you? Is it the Holy Spirit of God? Is it a love for Christ? Again, our text says he was driven into the wilderness. But God overruled in the temptation. I'm glad that our God is overruling, but I want to be overwhelmed. I'm glad that God is busy in my trials. But I also want to be driven in my trials. This morning, are you drawn? Are you dominated? And are you driven? I don't know about you, but man, I want to be one of those saints of God that when I go through the trials and I go through the hard times of life, I want to be one of those saints that just can't quit. I want to be one of those saints that says, God's been so good to me, ain't no way I can quit on Him now. God's blessed me so much. Man, I'm, I sure am glad that I didn't, that I didn't listen to the devil back there 10, 11 years ago when he told me God's through with you. I'm glad I didn't listen to the devil when God, uh, whenever, whenever he would try to come and tell me that, man, your life's not ever going to get any better than this. Man, God's blessed me so much. I'm having the time of my life right now. I mean, I, I love what I do at Exciting Southeast. Man, I, I, I'm just thrilled to death to be a part of it. I pray that every day. Man, I, I thank the Lord that God lets me just be a small part. I mean, I, I just get to be on the little end of something big. And God lets, God lets me just be a part of what's exciting and taking place at these campuses. And I sure am thankful. Man, just, what if I just quit? All the things that I'm experiencing now, all the blessings I get to enjoy right now, I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't have them because I quit on God right before he maybe was getting ready to bless me. You know, those, those times when, when the devil was coming to me and trying to tell me that you're not ever going to be used anymore. All you're going to be doing is just, just sitting down here and the rest of your life not being used. It wasn't just a few months after that till the pastor of church in Stillwater asked me, would you come start leading music for us? Wasn't no time. They, started, well, they lost their youth, their youth leaders. They said, would you take over the youth and start working with the youth? And wasn't long after that, they, they said, well, would you, would you be willing to go on staff and be associate pastor? I mean, I sure am thankful I didn't listen to the devil. Instead, I listened to God. This morning, I don't know what you're going through. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. There might be somebody here that's going through a trial. You're going through a a hard time right now. The devil may be trying to tell you all by yourself. You're out here. God don't even know where you're at. I'm here to tell you this morning, God knows where you're at. And if you're a child of God, if you're a child of God, there ain't nothing you're going through this morning that God's not allowed because you're in the palm of His hand. And if it gets in the palm of God's hand, it's because He's allowed it to be there. You're not by yourself. God's with you. God knows where you're at.
And don't let, don't let the devil tell you it's not ever going to get any better. Because for the child of God, I can guarantee it's going to get better. There are times when it may get better down here, but ultimately for every one of us, it's going to get better up there when we go home to be with him. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you for the privilege we've had of sharing your word this morning, Lord, and I pray it's been a blessing to somebody. And Lord, to be some help to somebody, Lord, this morning, maybe it's going through a trial, and I pray, you've, Lord, you've helped them this morning to, to just get a new fire in their heart and their soul. Lord, just keep on going. Don't give up. Just keep on serving you. Just keep on doing what's right. And, Lord, you'll just continue to be God. Have you went away in the invitation this morning, Lord, even we've not preached on salvation this morning, but, Lord, I know the Holy Spirit can preach whatever he wants to. No matter what I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit can be preaching something different to somebody out here in the pews. So if there's somebody here this morning that needs to be saved, Lord, I pray that you'll help them to see that they can go through trials and tribulations and temptations down here, and if they don't have you, they could be alone. But, Lord, if they'd come to you and receive you as Lord and Savior, they'll never be alone. Lord, I pray you'll give them the courage to step out this morning and come and receive you as Lord and Savior. Have your will and way of the invitation. These things we ask in your name. Amen. This morning, we're going to ask you to come if God's spoken to your heart. If you're, if you're going through a trial right now, you may want to come and ask God just to help you to remain faithful, help you not give up. You may want to come pray for somebody else that you know they're going through a trial. They're going through a tribulation. Pray for God to help them. If you're not going through a trial or tribulation right now, I can guarantee you it ain't going to be long until you will be. Because the devil's not going to leave you alone for long. Whatever it is God's spoken to you about, you come. We sing.